All right. Good morning, Reach Church. All right. The potluck is popular, it seems. <laughs> All right. So uh, if kids are going to head to Reach Kids, they can head out. All right. Notice the crowds leaving. They need teachers. <laughs> Teach them. Uh, all right, so uh, we are continuing in our sermon series, uh, Astonished, looking at the book of Galatians, uh, remembering that uh, Paul was astonished that the Galatians, Paul would certainly be astonished that, that we also join the Galatians in this. We, we quickly trade the gospel of grace and peace for the gospel of works and slavery to fighting for, for a salvation that is given to us freely in Jesus. Now, Paul started uh, last week, or he, uh, for the while, while, he started his letter uh, looking at kind of his personal defense of the gospel, that he is a true apostle, that he, he preaches the true gospel. Uh, but now we're transitioning to uh, his theological defense of the gospel. Uh, with that, we're going a little, a little deep. We're going back in history, back in redemptive history. Uh, now, you might think to yourself, I don't care. I don't care, and I don't want to hear this. I don't want to go deep. I want to, I just, you know, let's, let's skim and enjoy it. Um, now, we go deep so that our faith has a foundation. Because our foundation will be rocked. There will be times where the emotions will not be enough, when we will have doubts and we will have struggles. And in those times, it's kind of passages like this that, that dig deeper and remind us that like, this faith is not just something that we invented, that this is a faith that is, has lasted for... There's been the one central message of the Bible. It has been years and years, centuries in the making, that just the fact that it's all there from the very beginning is just such a, a powerful kind of sustainer of our faith. So we're going to go deep, and today we're looking at the law. And I think uh, it's kind of helpful because uh, in the question and answer time, so many of the questions, we talk, we talk like, all right, grace, 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 grace. And the people were like, la, 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 <laughs> questions about law. Um, and I think that's fair. And that's why today we're asking, okay, like, where does the law stand in all of this? What is the role of the law? How can we kind of put the, the law in its right place? Because like the Galatians, we can kind of obsess about the law. It's the thing that, that's the scariest. It's the thing that's most tangible. So sometimes we can lift it up and, and put the law first when the law is supposed to be second. It's supposed to have a supporting role. It's supposed to have maybe even a tertiary role. It's supposed to be pretty much down there so that the promise and faith are come first and the law kind of helps build up our faith and helps sustain the promise. That's why it's there. It's not supposed to be the main focus. It's not supposed to save us. It's not supposed to be what we delight in. We're looking first to the promise and then to the law. So uh, we're going to talk about three things. We're first going to talk about what, what's the outcome of the law versus faith? Where do those kind of two paths lead? And then we're going to talk about how the law is secondary, how it plays a supporting role in all of this. And then finally, we're going to see what the real reason for the law is. Why was the law given if it has nothing to do with this, it has nothing to do with our salvation, if it's not part of any works that we present to God, then 
Why was it there, and why was it given? So with that in mind, oh, we're going to turn to Galatians 3. We have a lot to read today. I didn't realize how much it was until I read it uh, last service, and it was a lot. So uh, this is where we put on our, like, focus, serious, like, okay, this is God and eternity, and we're going to plow through. So Galatians 3, verses 7 through 29. Know then that this that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ? This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God as to make the promise void. For if inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. The big question then. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, it was put in place by angels, by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Don't worry about the Trinity there. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under the law so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, we are sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no female and male, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Woo! All right, there we go. All right, this is a lot. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we, uh, we thank you for the richness of your word. We thank you that there is so much here and that it all focuses on Jesus. We ask that you would give us a firm foundation 
that we wouldn't be uh, floating along, but we'd be anchored in the historical working that you've been doing from the very beginning. That this is not something that surprised anyone. It should not have surprised us. For it has always been by faith. It has always been nothing but Jesus that saved. Father, would you give us a right understanding of the law? Would you help us to put it in the right place that we may give the law at the right times and we may give Jesus at the right times? Father, would you sustain us in our faith and give us Jesus that we may be saved in him? We pray in his name. Amen. All right, so first, the outcome of the law versus the outcome of faith. Now, last week we, kind of, we talked about how it's by faith that the Galatians, that the Gentiles, that they received the Spirit, that they had miracles work among them. It wasn't because of works. And then Paul kind of takes this abrupt switch and he says, you know what, that reminds me of redemptive history. That reminds me of Abraham. That to be saved by faith is actually how it's always looked throughout all of history. And he says that you heard by faith just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now Abraham, Abraham, this is the father, the father of the faith. That 4,000 years ago, there were no followers of God. There was no special relationship between God and a people. There was no nation. There was no law. There was no circumcision. And out of that, God chose one Gentile, non-Israelite, non-circumcised, non-law-abiding person and decided, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a promise. I'm going to give you a promise. Before you ever did any good works, before you did anything, before you had any relationship with me, I'm going to start out this relationship with a promise. And he says this, Genesis 12, 2 through 3, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. In you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all of the families of the earth, the nations of the earth, shall be blessed. That was the promise. That out of this single man, there would become first a nation, and then that that nation would bless every nation. Now, Abraham, uh, he had a problem with that. It was hard to believe that promise because he didn't have any children. He didn't have any children, and so he's thinking, okay, how, how am I going to be a blessing to all these people? Uh, how, is, how am I going to create a nation if I can't even create one kid? Um, that's a problem. And so uh, he comes to God with that problem, and God gives him kind of a, a, a support of that promise. And he says, you know what? That promise of nations and blessing, it's going to come through an offspring, you're going to have an heir. And through that heir, all of these promises are going to come. Now, when Abraham heard that, he had what he needed to believe. And it says that Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to Abraham as righteousness. So he had all of these promises kind of floating out there, and he needed, he needed to put his faith in that offspring's ability to bring it about. 
And when he put his faith in the offspring, in the heir, God counted it to him as righteousness. Now, was Abraham any better than you or me? No. He did not have all this righteousness. He wasn't especially holy. He didn't have this life of good works. And so, instead of presenting to God his righteousness, he gave God his faith and God took it and said, you know what, I'll count this as righteousness. I'll treat this as if it was perfect righteousness. Your faith in place of of a righteousness of your own. And that is how Abraham was saved. Now, Paul can't help but look at that and he says, you know what, I kind of see a parallel here. I kind of see a parallel between you Gentile Galatians how you came to faith and how Abraham did. Verse 7. Know then that it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. You're not born into this. You don't need to be circumcised to become a son of Abraham. It's those of faith. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul's looking back and he's saying, you know what, the remarkable thing is that way back then, in the very beginning of Genesis, the gospel was preached. And it's the exact same gospel, the gospel of faith in nothing but Jesus. That Abraham put his faith in the offspring which would prove to be Jesus. We see that later in this passage. It says that it's not a bunch of offsprings. No, it's, it's really, it's the one offspring. It's Jesus Christ. And he put his faith in that offspring and all of the blessings, all of the promises came to him. And he's saying that's exactly what happened to you, Galatian church. That's exactly what happens to everyone. That's the only way it happens. That is the only path to true righteousness. That it's not about works, it's not about your heritage or your circumcision or any little aspect of the law, it's about faith. And it always has been. Now, if faith is the path towards righteousness, and towards the blessings that come to Abraham, towards all of these promises, then what does the law give us? What if we try to take that path? We took, okay, here's where the path of faith leads. Where does the path of, of works in the law lead? Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. You have to do everything if you're going to try the works method. Not just try hard, not just do most of them or the ones that that seem best to you. No, you have to do all of them and you have to do them and you have to abide by them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous don't live by works, they live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. All right, this is great because this is, this is the law telling you what it does straight from the horse's mouth. So he's asking, okay, law, law, what, what can you offer these people if they do it? He says, you know what, it, it'll curse you. 
If you try to do the law, if you try to rely upon works of the law, you'll be under a curse. And all those blessings of Abraham, yeah, there's no, you're not going to have access to any of those. Because you have to have perfect obedience to the law to get any blessing out of it, and no one does. The righteous are always those who live by faith. And that's where we see there are two paths here. We like to blend them together and make a middle path where like it's faith and works together kind of help, uh, will kind of get there both ways. No, you can't play it both ways. There are two completely different methods of salvation here. Two different ways of standing before God. Either faith or works. And just so we're clear about how this all works, Paul lays it out. And he lays out, okay, why do these paths lead to these different places? Why does faith work? Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the, work of, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. He's talking about that trade that we talk about so often. And that we were under the curse of the law, we had failed to perform. And so Jesus took the curse upon himself and the judgment upon himself, and he gives us the righteousness and the blessing that he alone could earn. The only one who fulfilled the law, who did it and abided by it. The perfect one giving us his righteousness. Now what we're saying is that has always been the only way of being saved. A lot of you had questions, have questions. You're like, well, well, what about before Jesus? And what did the people who, who didn't know about Jesus do? They had their faith in Jesus. They put their faith in the offspring. They didn't know him by name, but he, then as history unfolded, it proved to be Jesus. Maybe they put their faith in, in that sacrificial lamb that couldn't possibly take away all of our sins but would point towards the true lamb who could. Maybe they put their faith in the one who would crush the serpent's head in the seed in Genesis 3. Looking forward to this one who would come. Maybe they put their promise in, or their faith in the better, the better prophet than Moses. all of these pictures of Jesus. They put their faith in the shadows and in the the things that would eventually point to Jesus would, would come to fruition in Jesus. That is how everyone has always been saved. The only way. Now I tell you that because if that's how always everyone has been saved, you don't need to be saved by works. You don't need to be the one person in human history who, who has to be saved by faith and works. No. Take the faith path. That's the only one that works. Uh, that was, that was kind of uh, confusing. It's the only one that's effective <laughs> in saving you. Jesus said it's finished. It really is finished and has nothing to do with works. Now to drive that home, we're going to go uh, one step deeper here. All right, we're going deeper, deeper in. Just to prove to you 
just to prove to you that it really isn't by works, uh, Paul starts talking about covenants and contracts and history. So verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. All right. How many of you zoned out of that whole sentence? <laughs> oh, uh, all right. <laughs> what, what does that mean? All right. Uh, essentially, what he's saying is, once you sign a contract and you sign it, no one gets to change it. It's done. All right. He wants a human example. I'll give you a human example. So uh, let's say uh, you go and buy a car, and you're on the Dave Ramsey plan, so you pay in cash, <laughs> full, full money down. All right. You now own that car, and you, they, they sign it over to you. You have the title. It's done. Now, if, if the dealer decides, you know what, I, that, was, that was too good a deal, I'm going to go back and say, you know what, uh, I changed my mind. Now, now I want you to pay me $100 a month, you know, just a little bit. Like, but that way you can, you can keep your car. What would you say? No, you would say no, yes. <laughs> Why? Because it's already done. The contract's already been written. You don't get to change it after that. And you already got all the benefits. You, you don't gain anything by... You can't just add conditions on that. Now, that makes a lot of sense to us. Because that's just how things work. And Paul's saying, you know what? That is how things work. It works in the courtroom here, and it works in the courtroom of heaven. That when God makes a contract, those rules still apply. And so he says, verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, to your offspring, which is Christ. All right, we've clarified that. I think we're all good on that same page. This is Jesus that we're putting our faith in. Um, but this is what I mean. The law, the law which came 430 years later, does not annul the covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. If the inheritance comes by the law, then it's no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. All right, what's he saying? He's saying there's two things interacting here. The promise of God and the law. And he's saying the promise came 430 years earlier. And it didn't have any conditions then. It didn't say, oh, by the way, you have to be Jewish. Or, oh, by the way, you have to be circumcised. Which they were telling the Galatians, which was the lie. It didn't come with anything that said, oh, by the way, you have to believe this certain doctrine or else you'll, you know, that's not good enough. Or, oh, by the way, you have to make sure these sins aren't in your life because those are the really bad ones. No, it doesn't say any of that. It doesn't say anything about the law. The law didn't even exist. Did Abraham need the law to receive the promise? No. It took 430 years for it to come about. It had nothing to do with each other. And that's where we can be really goofy about this. Because honestly, we as a church, we love the law way more than we love the promise. And we like putting the Ten Commandments on things. And we love telling each other when sin is sin. And... We like, we like feeling good about where we stand according to the law. And he's saying, like, that's not, where the, that's not where the key is. The key is 
is the promise. And the promise of God will not be conditioned, it will not be changed, has nothing to do with works. You owe no works to God, faith and faith alone, grace and grace alone, Jesus and Jesus alone. That's how it has always been and how it will always be. All right. Now, what is the natural question then? I hope the natural question is, well, then why the law? (laughs) Who cares? Why did he even give it to us then? All right, first of all, if that's your natural question, that's Paul's, Paul's natural question, verse 19, why then the law? That means we're reading it right. If his natural question was, well, then how do we balance the law and grace? Then we think, oh, well, maybe I didn't read this right if it's all about the law. No, but he's saying, he's saying, oh, it seems like the law is totally pointless. And he's saying, yeah, you probably think that because it is totally pointless when it comes to salvation. And it's totally pointless when it comes to, to sanctification. And so we ask, okay, then why does it exist? Verse 19. Or first, first. Why does the law exist? The law exists to be a prison. The law exists to be a prison. A prison. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. He throws a lot of random stuff here. I'm, jump, I'm jumping to 22. <laughs> jump with me and skip this uh, random commentary. Uh, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. The scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. The law is a prison. It is not a path to freedom. It is not freedom itself. It is a prison. It's actually supposed to imprison us under the law. Now, uh, what's so remarkably uh, fruitful place for the gospel? Prisons. Yes, prisons are a great place to find Jesus. Now, why is that? Why do so many people come to faith uh, in prison? Well, they look around themselves, and what do they see? Everything around them tells them that they are a bad person. That if they were trying to earn their way to heaven, they didn't do it. And if, if there is anyone who needs grace and who needs someone else's righteousness, it's them. And they're forced with that condition and they, they realize like, in and of themselves, they have gotten themselves here. And so, remarkable number of people in prison come to faith and come, come running to Jesus like, free me, be my savior. I need righteousness that I cannot earn myself. Now, that is what the law is supposed to do. The law is supposed to imprison us and make us realize how sinful we truly are. That, like, that we read this thing and we don't feel good about ourselves. Instead, we realize, oh, I am a horrible sinner. That's what the law is supposed to do. And realize that we are in chains and that we need someone to free us. 
that we cannot save ourselves. That is the whole point. Now, how ironic that we then read the law to make ourselves feel good about ourselves or to make ourselves feel better than than the person next to us. No, the law is supposed to make us realize we are in chains and that we cannot save ourselves. Now, with that in mind, that should change who you give the law to and when you give the law to people. Now, there's certain people who, like, they need to be put in prison to realize, like, oh, what you did was wrong. You're not seeing it. And that can actually be helpful for them. Now, who are those kind of people? Those are like the delusional people who really think they're holy and really think that they're good people and that they're nice people. And if they, if, if they died tomorrow, that, like, God would welcome them into heaven because they're great. I've met people like that. They need the law. I used to be that, so I needed the law. That's, that's fair. Um, who do we, but then, like, who doesn't need to go to prison? Like, the people who realize they are already in chains. The people who already realize that they cannot earn salvation. The people who are sorrowful and, and broken and guilty and humiliated. Like, those people don't need the law. Or the people who are totally defeated because they're like, I'm in bondage and I can't get out. Those people don't need the law. They have plenty of it. All right. The law is a jail that's supposed to bring us to repentance, come us crawling on our knees to Jesus, desperate for salvation. As a side note, as a side note, this is, this is a little... Uh, some of you, I think you're kind of like... How would I say this? You're upset that Jesus doesn't save everyone but not like desperate to be saved yourself. And that, that's a, I think that's a reality we have to come to that like, oh, I desperately need to be saved. And like, I have so much sin in myself and I desperately need Jesus. And the first question shouldn't be like, do I want this salvation? Or like, am I okay with how he's doing this? It's like, I need salvation. I have sin. Like, there's a, there's a horrible future hanging out. I'm on the pinnacle of destruction here. Uh, that's what the law is supposed to do, to get us to that point. All right. Um, second, second, the law is a guardian, a guardian. Verse 24. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. All right, a guardian, a guardian. Uh, Other translations of this, uh, a nanny, a chaperone, All right, these are like the people who accompany children and teenagers because they're idiots, (laughs) all right? And they cannot lead themselves or else they'll just lead themselves into destruction. All right, so uh, 
So Remy, little Remy. Uh, <laughs> all right, he's super rigid. He like needs like things outlined for him. And also he doesn't make great decisions. And so, all right, we have this rule that is, is a, like nanny-ish rule. All right, you're only allowed to throw balls. Now, we have, we have, we have surrounded our house with, with fluffy balls so that if he throws them, they don't destroy anything. But that's the rule. All right, you can't throw bananas. You can't throw trucks. <laughs> you can't throw blocks. Like, even things that are, okay, like, you can't throw pillows because, you know, just, just balls. That's the rule. Now, will that law stick with him for the rest of his life? I hope not. <laughs> or else he'll be like the weird ball kid. Um, like you, why did you throw that? Stop. Like, it's not really a rule. It's just something helpful. And it's supposed to guide you towards larger things like don't throw things that are sharp. Or like don't throw things if they're going to destroy things or people. And like that's helpful, but it's something to get in there. It's not supposed to be the end game. That's where some of us, some of us wander around with laws like the nanny who like is giving us like, like, how did I do today? Like, I didn't commit adultery or murder anyone. So like, pretty good. And it's just like, no, we're like, I'm supposed to progress beyond that. There's a heart behind this and like, there's more to it here even. We can be kind of immature when it comes to the law. The law is supposed to push us towards, towards true maturity. And once we hit true maturity, the law actually falls away. And we're called to follow Jesus and to love him and glorify God. All right. This other thing. Uh, the law is a chaperone. All right. Who needs chaperones? Like teenagers when they're going on teenager dates like which is ridiculous that yeah. I'm glad I never went on a chaperone teenager date maybe that makes me lame but maybe it makes me uh sensible I don't know uh all right so why why did the chaperone have to go because the teenagers were idiots and they would have done terrible things and they like they didn't want that to happen so they had to have a chaperone who was like keeping their eye on them and making sure they didn't do things now uh Casey and I, do we now need a chaperone? I hope not. Like, no. <laughs> like, we, we, know, we know the larger course of things, and also there are things that we're allowed to do, and it doesn't matter anymore. And the chaperone doesn't need to stop that. All right. That's the reality of what we're talking about. Is the law was there to, like, make sure we didn't do anything, but, like, now that we are sons of the living God, we don't need the chaperone like watching our every move. And we're not asking like, oh, is the chaperone looking? It's like, well, aren't you just doing what you're supposed to do? The law starts to fall away. And in some sense, it becomes, becomes null and void that even circumcision and eating food that isn't defiled, like those things are just kind of dumb now and they don't even apply. All right, so who then do you give the law to? You give the law to the very immature. And that's not, not like, not in an insulting way, but like those who are new in the faith, they might not even know what is bad and what is good. And so you say like, oh, like that, that thing is actually a law. Like 
it says that, that like, God doesn't like that. So you, just so you know, and the hope is that that starts to fall away. Now, if we are mature and we are in faith, we are, we are sons of the living God, we don't need to give the law to each other all the time. We don't need to be each other's chaperones and each other's nannies. What do we need to give? <laughs> all right, all right, moving on. Um, what do we need to give each other? We need to give each other faith and the promises and the blessings and like, the larger picture and like, hey, don't you love following God? Like, that's kind of weird and not really part of it. Um, that kind of thing and pointing people to Jesus and why we love him and pursuing him together. We need to fall out of love with the, with the law and fall in love with Jesus. That's what we're saying here. Because the, the reality is that all of us now, like, we are, we are sons, so we are sons of God. And that's what we were getting at, and it says that there is neither Jew nor Greek. Like, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your religious background or your relationship to the law. Like, everyone is equal in Christ, and they all stand as perfect sons. All right, there's not slave and free. Some people have freedom in Christ. Some people are under the law still. Like, no, like, we all have freedom. We all have freedom from sin and freedom from the law, Freedom from judgment and guilt and shame and all of those. All right. There's not male and female. That's an interesting one. I think it's mostly because we're all called sons. Because in that culture, the sons had special access to the father. And it wasn't right, but women were second-class citizens. And they weren't going to interact with the father. But here's it saying, it's saying, no, you're all sons. You are all equal in Christ. You now stand in, in full standing. You are perfect before him. So what do we do with the law? It's about nothing but Jesus. We do not rely on the law anymore. We do not try hard to do the law. We try hard to have faith and to believe. And we very rarely give the law to people. We give it to a select few, those who need to be pushed towards Jesus or those who are just totally ignorant. But mostly we give each other Jesus and reasons for faith, promises to believe. That's what Abraham got, promises and faith. And that's what we, we live off of now, is promises and faith in those promises that are not conditional and will never change and the blessings that are guaranteed there. Amen? Amen. All right. Questions? Dan. Um, so the Bible still talks about, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. So how do we separate that from what you just... Okay, yeah. If you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, it does say that. Well done, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I was totally wrong. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, all right, that's where. Uh, it doesn't say, if you keep, if you keep my commandments, then, then I will love you. It's that if you love me, like, here's how you do it. And that's, I think, that's, I think, 
more so along the lines of that new believer who doesn't realize what it looks like to sin and what it looks like to, to not sin. And they can't actually distinguish between the two. And if we went on into life and we're just like, I guess I just do what I don't feel guilty about, uh, we would kind of be walking in the dark. And that's where the things that accord with loving God are the things that are accord to the law. But, like I said with the, the nanny, when we're looking to love God, we're not just checking off boxes or making sure we're not bad people. We, we give our lives over to loving God. And we come up with, with new ways to do that, things that maybe the law didn't even think about in, in a, our desire to honor and glorify Jesus because that's our greatest desire. It's like so far from surpassing it because the faith that we have pushes us towards loving Jesus so much. Does that answer your question? Okay. Wendy. Yeah. A lot of us, me for a very long time now, have been in the mode of parenthood. Yes. So we got our own children who we need to raise spiritually. Then right. Then we're teachers, we've got kids in school. And then moving on to new converts who might be asking us questions or who we might try to special. And then also, like, I think of all those people in, in suffering places that Mark Inc. addresses. Right. You know, who, who you might be able to get in front of them and help them with the word. Yeah. So Quoting me back. <laughs> don't need to keep giving each other the law. I mean, I find myself saying that, you know, to my kids. Like, right. it's not your job to be the policeman all the time. But in a big general sense, in order to give the law, or not give the law, but to talk the word back to them and show them Jesus, there is that yes. law and recommendation to live by. Right. Right. Like, when do you feel like you're crossing the line? Like, oh, I gotta mind my own business and not speak the word or whatever. How do you, how do you balance the two? I know it's not an easy answer. Okay. Yeah, that's where. Uh, I have to restate that question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will try to restate the question. Uh, it makes sense for, for how we should interact with the law and with giving ourselves the gospel and, and believing by faith. But how do we, we are, we are called to give the law sometimes. And especially with kids, with those who are young, with those who are new in the faith, like when are we called to give them law and when are we called to give them Jesus and faith? Um, I think that's where, Wendy, you're interacting more than most people are with people in that category, which are the people who need nannies and who need, who need chaperones. And so I think it's appropriate that children get some law because if they, they need to know it. And also, kids are just as proud as the rest of us and think we're, they're saved by works. Um, and that needs to be broken down. Um, but we, give, we only ever give the law 
that they would see their sin and realize how desperately they need faith and how desperately they need Jesus. And it's going to start transitioning from less and less law because they know they're sinners and more and more grace in Jesus and faith so that they have a reason to obey. Now, do I have a, a way of parsing that out? No. That's where it's going to, some kids maybe need, need a lot of law. Some Right, he used the word scripture. Scripture is, it contains all this stuff. And that's where I think we want to be really careful in giving just law. That if I want to help you fight sin, I'm prob- it's probably not effective for me to say, oh, by the way, that's a sin. I think most of us know that. Most of us know which things in our lives are sin. The problem is we are really bad at fighting it. And I think that's where... In those circumstances, I think we think that law is the right answer, but actually faith is the right answer. And to encourage people in their faith and encourage them and why they should love Jesus and, and remind them of their standing before Jesus, that that's going to connect them with the Spirit like we talked about last week and be more powerful than just reminding them, hey, you, you remember that's a, that's a law and that's bad. It's hard. And yeah, it's... I'm not saying never give people a law. I'm saying give the right people a law, give the right people grace, and we might be a little unbalanced. All right, more questions. Nancy? Okay. <laughs> We've all met Bob, so <laughs> take it with a great assault. No, just kidding, Bob. Have, have fun in your vacation. Other son. <laughs> no, I mean the the one next. No, not Catherine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, go ahead, Nancy. Right, and that's where, yeah, there are times when, like, and I think this is a pretty common one, like, I'm in love with this person, and you're, like, equally yoked. Let's, let's remind ourselves all of equally yoked, and uh, there's a reason that we're given that. We are being blind. We are being idiots. We need a chaperone in that. 
That's why chaperones usually accompany dates, not baseball games. You know, like it's just, uh, you're right, Nancy. Yeah. And that's where the law can be a blessing in, those, in the right circumstances. And to, for those who want to follow Jesus and saying like, oh, that's not the way to do it because you're totally missing the mark, that can be helpful. Totally. I'm not saying to never give the law. I'm saying give it in the right circumstances. And I think those were really good circumstances, Nancy. Yeah. Morgan. So I have a question about in James 2. Yeah, I knew this would come up. All right, yeah. He, he references the same Genesis. The yes, same he does. Passage or the same moment in Abraham's story. He says he was justified by his works. And he says, see, that his works were along with his faith, working alongside, and then his works actually completed his faith. Yes. All right. Can you help yes, that is, that is good. That is good. Um, all right. We're going to see later in Galatians that, uh, that what matters? Does circumcision or uncircumcision matter? And he says, no. It's faith expressing itself through love. And that's where real faith motivates and changes how we live. Now, when it's talking about what's happening there is Abraham got this promised son. All right, he got, he got his Isaac, who was going to be the one who was going to bring, bring about uh, the future of Israel. And then he was told to, to murder him. And what did Abraham do? He's like, all right, I'll do it. Why? How could he do that? Because he had faith in this promise, the faith that was already established. And later in, I think it's Hebrews, he said, it says that, he was going to do it because he had faith and he trusted that God could resurrect him from the dead if he needed to. That's how much he believed the promise. So it wasn't that, oh, sometimes I work and sometimes I have faith. No, it's that the faith really played itself out in works. And that's where we do have to ask ourselves, like, is my faith playing out in works or am I just pretending and my faith is really in all this other stuff and it shows? Yeah. Does that answer your question, Morgan? All right, everyone looks like they're starving and they're tired and they want to die. So <laughs> let's pray, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that uh, we can summarize all of this with nothing but Jesus, that it has always been nothing but Jesus. It is not by, by works. And Father, we thank you that we get to celebrate these things together. We get to celebrate the freedom in Christ. We get to eat and drink um, in an abundance of freedom because we enjoy life and we enjoy the things that you've given us and we love Jesus and what he's done for us. Father, we ask that our faith would express itself, that you'd give us great wisdom in when to give law and when to give uh, faith and grace in Jesus. And Father, would you convict us if the balance is wrong, if we have resorted back to works if we've replaced this promise to Abraham and we've, we've cursed ourselves in the process. Father, would you help us? Would you give us eyes to see Jesus? Would you fill us with your spirit that would empower us to do good works that we would never even imagine ourselves doing because we have true faith, faith in nothing but Jesus. We pray in his name.